This is Using the Whole Whale, a podcast that brings you stories of data and technology in the nonprofit world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. everybody. My name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers here at Whole Whale and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. Today on the pod, we have Nelda Packwing, founder and CEO of MindGlow. MindGlow uses the immersive experience of virtual reality to maximize workplace safety and prepare employees for emergencies, starting with active shooter training. Their products include VR active shooter training, office edition and university edition and self-defense training. Their mission is to save lives through empowerment and engagement. So thanks, Nelda, for coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited for our conversation. So let's just jump right into it. Can sure. you explain a little bit more about what MindGlow is and what inspired you to invest in this work? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we started the company early in 2019 mm-hmm. as a result of the epidemic that we were having in the United States. Mm-hmm. There were just ha- uh, so many active shootings going on in schools and public spaces. And the ways that regular civilians are being trained are either non-existent or traumatic or unengaging. So we asked ourselves, how might we design an experience that prepares people for emergencies like this in an engaging way? And that's when we realized that virtual reality needs to come into the picture because Mm -hmm. you can go through simulations using a VR headset and in a very safe and controlled environment that allows you to practice and create that instinct to react quickly. And that's the type of training that we need when it comes to emergencies and safety situations. Yeah, I definitely feel that, especially with uh, the gun control policies in this country. It's becoming more and more frequent that we're hearing about these active shooter situations. And is there anything else that inspired you to invest in this kind of work, specifically with virtual reality, um, Mm -hmm. which I know is a little bit niche? (laughs) It is definitely very niche. I actually um, got, I actually started using virtual reality in 2014 I tried out my very first headset at a game developers conference in San Francisco. (laughs) And the moment I put it on, I realized that I had this mind blowing experience of like, Mm. wow, this is a really great tool. And I could see its potential when it comes to training and being able to just practice what you learn. Mm. So during that time, I was working as a user experience designer there weren't that many UX patterns when it came to designing virtual reality experiences. Mm. So it was the opportunity to see where we could take this technology and find actual use cases for it that will solve a real problem. So the actual, the, the first product that I actually worked on was classroom management training. And at that time I didn't know as much about virtual reality as I did right now, as I mm. do now. I started that product using Windows mixed, um, mixed reality, so using the HoloLens. And something that I should have done back then was really interviewed these teachers and really understood you know, the types of budgets that they have and the types, types of budgets they have for innovative solutions such as this. So, um, so it, it didn't work out. And I continued learning and, develop, um, and learning how to develop these VR products. And eventually, I got into, um, in late 2018, I had a conversation with a, with a business executive of a, re, a major retail company. And, and we started talking about active shootings. Mm. 
And I asked him, how are you training your employees right now when it comes to active shootings? And his response was, you know, uh, we're still experimenting with that. Uh, Right now, what we do is we get employees into the same room and one of our trainers comes in with a handgun. And after um, showing them the handgun, telling them like, okay, we are going to shoot this inside inside, um, or right outside your room. Wow. Your goal is to identify where it's coming from and move away from the sound. Oh my goodness. Yeah. As as you can see, it is a very disruptive way of providing the training, but at the same time, it's essential Mm -hmm. when it comes to safety trainings like this, you need that behavior and you can't just get information fed to you. Mm. Uh, Like for example, for example, there are government resources and videos that show that um, you need to run, hide, or fight when an active mm. shooting event happens. So you could get fed that information, but that's all you get. Yeah. Um, what you can get with in-person drills is that actual situational awareness, practicing your auditory skill, um, or practicing like hearing where the sounds are coming from, even identifying where um, what the sounds are. So. Yeah. In our experience, we even show the sounds of a handgun, a semi-automatic wow. rifle, uh, a shotgun, just to get that exposure. Because once yeah. you hear it, then you know, like, this is a serious thing. Mm. Now I need to act. Yeah. So we basically took their training or their in-person training and replicated it as one of the activities that we have in our, in our product. Yeah. I must say, that's a very intense training. <laughs> to hear uh, shots being fired right outside mm-hmm. of a door. Um, yeah. I know in my own personal training history, I really just had, we've all stood in a hallway and they said, oh, if an active shooter comes then you know, just hide under a table or hide behind the door in a closet and lock it and just kind mm-hmm. of hope for the best, <laughs> which is definitely not the way to go about it. And you're definitely right. Like you need those kind of auditory uh, signals to really... Mm-hmm engage that kind of flight or flight, fight or flight, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And um, as you were mentioning, you, you need to understand the fight flight and you also need to understand freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was interviewing people who've actually been in active shooter situations and also those who've even had the training, they mentioned they fall into a freeze response. And that's mm-hmm. actually a very dangerous position to be in because yeah. these types of situations, they end in a few minutes and yeah. seconds is life and death. So. Definitely. Yeah. It's like you never know what you'll do until you're in that moment. And mm-hmm. when you're in that moment, I think I would at least freeze before running anywhere, really. So practice makes perfect. So it's just a very safe way of doing it. And mm-hmm. I guess I, I would also like to point that because we know that our users or um, the people who would train with our technology and our software are regular civilians without any military or law enforcement background. We designed it to make sure that it's as non-traumatizing as possible and just gives you enough to react and respond. So for example, we don't introduce an active shooter in the, in the simulations. We just mm-hmm. show a cardboard cutout so you could get mm-hmm. that um, that mental image of this is a dangerous thing and I just need to know what my improvised weapon is going to be. Yeah. And I definitely like that it's not too invasive, you know. I mm-hmm. think 
when you kind of get into this technology, it's really easy to go a little bit overboard with the amount of realism that you have mm-hmm. to the point where, like you said, it could be a bit traumatizing, um, especially because you don't really know what anybody's really been through. And to have these kind of trainings, especially at school or a work environment can trigger some people for sure. Exactly. Did you ever have an aha moment in knowing that you wanted to work in VR? <laughs> I guess um, you could say that um, the aha moment was in 2014 when I tried on my very first VR headset. Mm. <laughs> and at that time, it was a developer kit with Oculus. And yeah. I had an Xbox controller to mm. to navigate and move around the, the environment. And it was a game called Valkyrie, I believe. I put mm. on the headset for the very first time. And all of a sudden, I went in a spacesuit, and I see the dashboard and shooting stars and jets were flying next wow. to me. <laughs> so it was just that, like that. It was obviously that aha moment of wow, wow. this is this is a really amazing tool. Mm-hmm. And so coming out of that experience, I I knew that I wanted to be part of it, and mm-hmm. I just didn't know exactly how at that moment in time. So. Uh, this was back in 2014, and I was just in UX, um, uh, just a UX designer. So, I was really curious to see where I could put myself in this environment and in this industry. Yeah. So, um, the journey that I took ended up being like going to a lot of meetups and events, trying out as many VR experiences as I could, and seeing what people are trying, and then also taking VR development classes, attending mm-hmm. conferences, and eventually throughout the years the industry became quite small for me Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, it just got smaller where I start seeing all these familiar faces and I started like working with a lot of amazing creators. I was part of this program called Oculus Launchpad Mm -hmm. and XR Studio by Mozilla where I was working on self-defense training um, Mm -hmm. VR um, called Empower Her. Um, So so yeah, like I, um, I guess that 2014 was that that aha moment for me. And so I, um, so actually, one of the new initiatives that that we have is a new program called VR Training 101: How to Design, mm. How to Design VR Trainings for Businesses. Uh, so as I mentioned, it was six years, over six years, for mm. me to get to where I am right now, and also um, get the product and the company to where it is today. So with the program. I'm looking to get VR newbies, people who are very new to VR, who want to create their own trainings and help them go through that process in about six weeks and get them and get them started. Yeah, definitely. I love that aha moment. I think if anybody's ever used a VR set, they remember the first time that they ever used one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, exactly. It's a very immersive experience. Like you can only see what it's in the goggles. You can only hear what's on the headphones. Mm-hmm. Um, a very standout moment. But I'd love to talk more about uh, VR 101 um, and a little bit more about why you think that that was the next step for you to go in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we are still we we are still building these VR training products, mm-hmm. um, but with the VR training 101, I want to give that knowledge of building Mm -hmm. VR trainings and in a way like democratize it a little bit more and empowering creators and subject matter experts to get caught up with the technology and start creating on their Mm -hmm. own. So during the program, I'll be going through, um, I will 
I'll be uh, taking students through the journey of understanding all the VR technologies and the hardware involved, even the computers that you need if you choose to go the PC VR route, all mm. the different types of headsets, the different types of accessories and add-ons you could have, and, and the process of, um, of what makes sense as a VR training um, as a VR training, like what is a good training, what is not, uh, and mm -hmm. how do you design it in a way that can increase your likelihood of, of learning the content, and how do you go through the learning design process and then the UX design process, what are businesses looking for when it comes to, um, to bringing in virtual reality as a solution, and how do you communicate that ROI? So those are just a few things that we that we cover in the in the course. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, I love that, especially because VR is, I feel like, such a new, I guess, frontier in terms mm -hmm. of technology and UX. Mm -hmm. So I think I think it'll be a good market yeah. <laughs> with my little knowledge. <laughs> no, I'm actually really, really excited about it because when I was learning, um, learning how to create in VR, I noticed that it was a very frustrating experience for me. The, the mm. courses that I saw were focused on developers and programmers mm. and that's not really my strong suit, but I'm, I could still do it. Um, I'm, I would just be a little bit slower. So I wanted to understand, um, I want to understand, you know, like what are all the, all the other types of positions and talents that create a VR training and me as a UX designer, how do I come in as a UX designer and create an immersive experience that produce learning outcomes? So that's something that I want to communicate with everybody and, not and help them not feel intimidated by the developer that you must be a developer to start creating type right. of mindset. Right. I love that. Just because, you know, anybody could do anything they want, <laughs> whether you do UX or developing or programming mm -hmm. or anything. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's that. just so much, uh, so many talents out there that you could bring. Yeah. And from so many different routes, like it's really never one road. I'd love to hear more about specific ways that some businesses and universities have used your MindGlow um, or your products with virtual reality and if they found it helpful um, and the different ways that you've kind of seen an effect of this new technology. Yeah, absolutely. So we actually worked with the university um, early on this year with um, bringing our headsets to, to campus and educating some of the students uh, with the run height fight methods. So in universities, there are public, um, public safety departments. Um, and what we did was we brought in the headsets and they had an event and we just had students go through it. And it was really great for them. What got them to buy in to, to VR was the fact that it was designed in a very non-traumatizing uh, way. And it was designed in a way to create that immersive behavior changing response. So that's what, um, that's a way that, that a university has been um, using our product. Yeah, I love that. 
I just graduated, <laughs> not yeah, May 2020, but May 2019. And that's definitely a big fear on a lot of students' minds. Um, and so casually how it comes up. I remember talking with some of my friends in one of the big university hubs and just kind of mapping out a plan of what would happen if an active shooter came in, finding different exits or mm -hmm. looking for places to hide. It's very traumatic um, in a way that I think a lot of students don't realize that it is because we've just been so normalized to it. So I love that it's in an immersive way, but also not stressful and adding to the stress that students have already. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess to to give you like a little example of one of the other activities that we have in the experience. Yeah. So we have we have a firearm sounds activity mm -hmm. in there where you could hear the different sounds of the most common firearms used during an active shooting. Then mm -hmm. we have the listening drill where you where you practice identifying where the sound is coming from in the room that you're in. So the yeah. conversation I had um, that I mentioned earlier where the trainers brought in the employees in the same room, we replicated that and turned it into a listening drill. Then wow. we, yeah, and then we have an activity for run called quick escape. So mm. you mentioned earlier where you need to identify where you could quick, um, where you could exit as mm -hmm. fast as you can, where the closest one. So with that activity, you hear the sound of a gun and you have to identify in your location uh, where the closest exit is. Mm. And it times you to see how quickly you could respond. So it gamifies the experience and creates that, uh, creates that behavior to respond quickly. And for hide, we have an activity called cover versus conceal. So can mm. you identify in your, in, your environment, in your environment what you can use for cover, what you can use for conceal, and can you tell the difference between the two? And then finally, improvise weapons for fight when you have no other choice and you're just stuck where you are? Can you identify what you have around you? Like, let's say a coffee mug or mm. let's say uh, you have like pencils and pens or something to distract, being able to identify that as fast as you can too and not freezing when the shooter comes into your room. Yeah, I love that kind of fight option because oftentimes you think about these scenarios that would happen and you think about either running um, or just being helpless. And then that's the end of that, you know, so mm -hmm. equipping people with the necessary techniques that they would need, like using a coffee mug or a pencil or your book bag to provide that kind of defense for yourself, I think is what's really great and unique about VR, because I don't really think you could get that anywhere else, really, um, maybe in some self-defense trainings, but I feel like it's not really the same in terms of mm -hmm. how immersed it is. <laughs> And we could also think about it like if when someone does an in-person drill, then an in-person drill, then it, it gets a little disruptive as well. You have to close down an area, a hallway, a school, a building and do the trainings. And that tends to be quite disruptive. So that's why uh, that's why businesses are actually looking into VR training mm. in general. So it's not just safety training. There's soft skills training as well, where you could practice public speaking. Mm. There's, um, there's VR trainings where you could practice how to fire someone mm. or to negotiate. Mm. So other, and of course, you know, fire safety training too. So there's just a variety of different, different trainings. And it does save a company money if you think about how much it costs for trainers to travel to one location, how much it costs to, 
tell people to stop working for a few hours and and participate in the training. So it lessens that disruption. It let, um, it decreases the amount of amount of travel and the money you spend on the travel and the planning to coordinate all of that. So there's a lot of benefits when it comes to VR and training. And then we, we noticed that too in during COVID where we can't travel anymore. So how do we continue delivering trainings to employees and, and people? Right. I think that's a great way to segue into my next question was, where do you see the future of VR going? Mm-hmm. Um, you touched on a few before, like preparing for other kinds of emergencies and even preparing while staying at home and thinking about whether staying at home will be a permanent thing, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really interesting to think about. But where do you think VR is going in terms yeah. of emergencies? Yeah. So where I see VR going is it will be used as a more common tool similar to mm-hmm. cell phones. Everybody mm-hmm. has a cell phone. So I, I see the, um, every household or every office have a VR headset where they could jump in and do a conference call in person. Mm. They could prototype uh, something in, in virtual person. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so, um, so like, for example, there's this company based in Canada called Masterpiece VR and they have collaboration option in their software. So they mm. do, they, they help people or they help creators create 3D modeling software without complicated tools. Mm. So imagine going into the same space with a teammate who is in Japan and another one who is in Oregon and right. coming into the same, same space and, and creating this um, and working on the same product. So that's, that's a really good application for that. And mm-hmm. I guess like another Another tool that I personally use uh, since um, since COVID began was uh, meeting up with my friends through an app called mm. Big, Big Screen VR. Cool. Okay. So when, <laughs> <Never I'm, heard> <laughs> <laughs> so when I was work, uh, when I was in San Francisco, my friends and I would would meet up for happy hour every single week, and we would catch up on on anything VR and life and work, all of that. Yeah. So since we can't, so we're all like physically apart we meet up in big screen, uh, big screen VR, and we just sit down in the campsite. We have a little bonfire here in front of us and we're just catching up and talking. And we would spend hours in there and sometimes we would watch movies in, in VR. So it creates that feeling of presence that, um, that we'd be missing when it comes to just doing video chats with family and friends. Yeah, I love that. Especially thinking about the first point that you made about um, businesses being able to have like conference calls, like all in the same room. I think about colleges and the way that a lot of students now are having to work from home, basically do all their studies at home, especially for a lot of students who go to four universities where you go to the campus and everyone is on the same playing field. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it with that VR in mind, it really levels the playing field of not having chaotic backgrounds or um, if you have a lot of siblings or any other familial or circumstantial distractions, it can really help in layering the playing field. You wouldn't see my bedroom in the back here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I really, I really like that. And even thinking about quarantine and not knowing how long this will last, a lot of people, including myself, have really been missing my friends, quite frankly, and not being able to see them and being stuck watching Netflix all the time and <laughs> really being able to have that kind of presence, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I agree. I think as it becomes more and more common, like uh, Amazon Echoes or Alexas in the house, Mm -hmm. um, it'll be a lot more accessible and create a different normal. A different experience. It it is very different. So we have a real world where we interact with our friends in person. And then when we can't be in person, we have the virtual world where we could kind of still have that feeling of presence, but yeah, in, in a different place. Definitely. Do you see it going anywhere else, like in terms of emergencies similar to active shooters? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely see it being applied more in safety trainings or mm-hmm. training processes. So, uh, for example, working in manufacturing and working mm-hmm. with different types of machinery, typically the training can be also disruptive and sometimes dangerous, especially mm-hmm. coming in with no experience working on some dangerous machinery. So rather than doing it in person and making a mistake and costing either material costs or, you know, you might harm yourself, if you create that simulation or the same model of it in virtual reality, you can practice that process and not be harmed. And you could try again and again. So less resources wasted. And eventually when you're ready, you could move on to the real thing. Yeah. Definitely. Um, One of my good friends is studying to be a nurse right now. And since Mm -hmm. they can't go to school, really, a lot of their training is online with clicks here and there to like take the temperature and take Mm -hmm. blood pressure. But again, it's really not the same. (laughs) No, definitely isn't. Actually, um, it's great that you pointed out uh, your your friend being um, your friend as a nurse, because doctors are starting to train train for their surgeries in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. So um, so it actually, there's actually like a, a test um, research done at UCLA and the result was those who went, um, doctors who went through the VR training experience performed much better, much faster than mm-hmm. those who learned through traditional methods. Yeah. I think by maybe 200 and something percent better. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's quite a lot. And I was reading another article where where nurses and doctors were mm-hmm. training for COVID patients mm-hmm. using VR. Wow. So if we think about that type of situation where, you know, it will be very dangerous to train in person, like right. literally train in person. So what's your best, best alternative? Virtual reality. So you're safe. You could try again and again, learn. And when you're ready. You can move on to the real yes. deal. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, definitely. It would make Grey's Anatomy a little different, but (laughs) definitely (laughs) worth it. I would like to know a little bit more about, you touched on it earlier, but knowing a little bit more about how you prepared for this line of work. I know it was kind of a different route that you were taking, not going Mm -hmm. like the programmer, the developer route, but people who are interested in UX and virtual reality, what advice would you give them um, in terms of going into the similar line of work that you are in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my journey included going to a lot of in-person events. So since I live in San Francisco, I have a, um, I'm very privileged and I, that I got access to these meetups and demos and meeting all of these people all in one place. But I know that that's not the same for everybody else, it's, especially if they live in a smaller town or a smaller city where they don't have that much technology around them. So um, so your question was, how, um, how do, uh, how, what do I suggest for people to, to get in? Yeah. So I, the best advice really would be to try as many VR experiences that you can. 
and you know if you um, if you can get a um, get your hands on a VR headset and download as many apps as you can and just try it and observe to see like what's working and what's not what's fun and sticky and what's uh, less engaging and find ways to um, and start like let your let your mind run because as soon as you experience something new like this all of a sudden i've seen it so many times before people get so excited and their ideas flow left and right they're like oh my gosh you could use it for this and you could use it for this and then that and i'm like yeah you can <laughs> like yes of course this is amazing yes i got you as a you're you're such an enthusiast now amazing <laughs> yeah um yeah, I think like that would be really like the best step to do it. But at the same time, the reason why I created VR Training 101 is to address the time investment mm. in all of that and condense it into six weeks. Yeah. So I guess one option is, of course, you know, take take the um, take my program uh, or go to go to events when they when they happen and or start looking at VR, uh, VR trades like mm-hmm. Road to VR or VR Scouts or Upload mm-hmm. and just see what's happening in the industry and see the, dif- see the different use cases of, yeah. of the tech. Definitely. Well, you guys hear, heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Let your mind run. <laughs> awesome. I think that's a great place to stop for the main interview portion. Um, thank you so much, Nelda. Um, yeah. But we're not finished yet. We still have our <laughs> rapid fire. <laughs> yes, the rapid fire round. I love the rapid fire round. It's probably my favorite part of any episode. I feel like it gives guests like a little bit more fun, um, not as serious if we're dealing with serious topics, um, and just a little bit more of a time to show who you really are um, beyond the work that you do. <laughs> totally. Um, so yeah, it takes about 30 seconds or less. Um, but no pressure. Um, first question, what's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year? So we started using monday.com and mm. I personally like it because it's very visual. It's a productivity tool where you mm. can organize your project or organize your pipeline. Mm. And it's just nice to look at. And it's kind of fun being able to change a color from like, like gray to green or, (laughs) or it would make me sad if I had to go from green to red. I'm like, no. (laughs) Yeah. I see ads for Monday on like the subway. If you live in New York, then I'm probably sure you've seen subway ads for Monday, but um, I love that. I love checking something off a list and being like, yes, okay. Only three more things to go. (laughs) Exactly. What's coming in the next year that has you most excited? Um, Seeing where virtual reality goes, honestly, because of quarantine and COVID, a lot of people are starting to get into VR and realizing that, wow, this is actually a way to kind of escape life right now (laughs) or find an alternative to, uh, to current processes like conferences. I've attended about five conferences in VR and met people through through those conferences mm. as well. So, which is really cool. And yeah. being able to just like hang out with people, um, hang out with my friends. So distance doesn't really matter. Mm. Yeah. 
that's that's so cool that you're able to meet people or meet people mm-hmm. <laughs> through VR. Can you talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? I would say that my mistake is being a perfectionist. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a perfectionist mentality and sometimes that actually slows me down mm. where I feel like I need to get everything right and I need to understand everything I can about it in order for me to feel like I deserve to do it. Mm. But the thing is, that is a very limiting mentality and it slows you down, it prevents progress and it just makes you a very sad person. (laughs) (laughs) So that is definitely a mistake. So I've actually been a little nicer to myself uh, throughout Mm. the years and realized like I don't have to be perfect, just keep going and just keep doing things and you'll learn and eventually where you're, where you think you are perfect or what you thought you would be perfect, then you're actually there. <laughs> yeah, I get that. I'm definitely a perfectionist too, where I think I need to know any and everything before I can even start anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that it definitely slows you down a little bit. <laughs> uh, do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business? Successfully go out of business? I think they're still needed. They're mm-hmm. definitely still needed. They, NGOs, you're, you're solving big, big problems in um, that we that we need solved in the world, and it. I feel like because their their focus is on that and and for fulfilling a mission, that will keep you going. Mm. Uh, having a mission and and really solving that deep problem and really understanding why it's what startups actually look into and want to and and strive to have and that's what actually gets people to remain successful or work towards success yeah that's always an interesting question and there's always a different answer for it so Mm -hmm. (laughs) imagine you had a hot tub time machine going back to the beginning of your work what advice would you give yourself i would say to my college self not to be intimidated by technology Mm. So I went to college at UCLA and studied political science with a minor in public affairs. So it's very non-technical, but I was motivated to to help people protect the, um, to help people. And I thought that being in in politics or working for the government would will help me do that. Then I realized that by using technology, I could do so on a mass scale. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until two thousand and uh, like years later after after I graduated yeah so I if I were to go back I would tell myself like don't be intimidated by technology and start learning um start learning at least like the language or even basic front-end development or UX and how to even create something um, yeah I would have told myself that yeah I think that's a common uh, piece of advice Mm-hmm. like UX and programming and things like that can be really scary because it's really another language. It is. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really just taking it step by step, piece by piece. Mm-hmm. What's something you think you or your organization should stop doing? Overthinking. Same for the <laughs> perfectionism. <laughs> so yeah, overthinking. Like I'm always I would think about an idea and I would think that like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And it would be very beneficial to what we're trying to do. Mm. But overthinking makes me break it apart so much to the point where doubt starts coming in mm. and the action starts not happening. Yeah. So 
it kind of sounds like when you look at a picture for too long and then you want to post it and then you're like, oh, I don't think so anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's just say you had a Harry Potter wand for the industry. What would it do? Uh, I would want everybody to have a VR headset. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Similar to a cell phone or at the very least every, um, every household or every, um, every office because it's just a really great tool to connect and build communities and also to knowledge share as well. So it's just, that would be a really great thing to have. Yeah, I'm all for that. If I could have a VR headset. (laughs) What's your favorite question to ask an organization or board member? Why did you get started? Mm. I really wanted to understand the why behind an initiative. And Mm -hmm. because not only do you know what drives them, you understand the origins and Mm -hmm. how, um, and how it came to, and how it came to be. And yeah. I always find that fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Why questions are always the best ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, how'd you get started in the social impact space? So when I was in middle school, I was part of the, the youth city council in my city. Mm-hmm. And by the end of high school, I became chair of that youth city council. So I've always been involved mm-hmm. with giving back to the community and finding ways to improve it the best way that I can. And then when I was in college, I was part of the undergraduate students association. Hmm. So I wanted to give back to the undergraduate community and come up with, um, come up with like solutions to, to a common problem. So Hmm. while I was in sophomore year, I was part of the facilities commission. I really, I really liked working on problems that include making people safer, making sure Mm -hmm. people have access to office space, making sure Mm -hmm. people have the resources to succeed. So, so that's when I started getting involved and then I kind of continued finding way, finding, finding ways to give back Mm -hmm. based on like the problems that I observed. What's a piece of advice your parents gave that you did or did not follow? Find a stable job. (laughs) (laughs) Did you follow or did you not follow? <laughs> I did graduate and then I got a job right yeah. right after I graduated. I the day I walked the stage, I flew to New York to do job training, so I got hired mm. right away, yeah. which is which is really fortunate. And I stayed there for about 4 years. Yeah. So it was it was a nice stable job. I right. you know, got that checklist, but you know, how long does a stable job last? So I <laughs> that's when I left and left and got into got into tech I started from scratch and I started learning all these different skills and eventually I'm I started creating things but but yeah stable job well anyways like the the real truth about that being a startup founder it's not really especially (laughs) in emerging tech yeah far from stable but (laughs) you are kind of like paving the path yeah I find very fascinating yeah I mean I guess you did both followed and not followed. (laughs) Uh, Last one, and really my favorite one. What advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social impact sector? I would say first thing you need to do is identify the problem you want to solve in the world and then work backwards to see what opportunities are available to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. And from those options, see which one interests you the most and, and also where you have the right skill sets to contribute to. 
Well, that's the end of our rapid fire round. (laughs) Thank you so much again, Nelda. This has been a blast and really informative about the future of VR, which I think can kind of seem like a cloudy, scary kind of place. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of potential to it. So definitely. Where can people find you? Uh, You could find me on either on LinkedIn, uh, type in Nelda Packwing, or you could email me at Nelda at mindglowinc.com. So N-E-I-L-D-A at M-I-N-D-G-L-O-W-I-N-C.com or go to my website, mindglowinc.com. Yeah, everybody go check out Mindglow. It's really amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much again, Nelda. Have a good one. You too. This has been Using the Whole Whale. For more resources on today's show, please visit wholewhale.com slash podcast and consider following us on Twitter at Whole Whale. And thanks for joining us.